Are you welcome to the Puck Authority Hockey Podcast Network? This is the Heads Up Hockey Podcast. I am Jersey Joe Stanislaw, and this is uh, a guest, if not the editor of the Puck Authority, Justin Levine. How are you doing? Hey, Joe. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure on mine. Doing just well. How are you? Doing pretty good. So it sounds like, you know, with the end of the season starting to come around, uh, looks like we had a trade deadline that we needed to touch on and we have to talk about um, the Devils and Canadians and uh, especially the expansion draft, which ex- which does affect a lot of uh, the 30-plus teams in the NHL, soon to be 32. Yeah, absolutely. And we saw maybe not as an exciting a deadline as, as uh, most would hope for, Nonetheless, we saw a deadline that reflected more the struggles that COVID-19 has presented, but it also allowed some teams, despite that, to bolster up. Quarantine measures were loosened. And I think that overall, uh, just given the, um, you know, and again, maybe restrictions is not the perfect word, but um, the tight measures, rather, um, that this pandemic has offered teams uh, worked well with each other. Uh, there was a lot of, you know, offered help financially. And I think with that, um, that was probably the biggest takeaway rather than uh, most of the players. Um, as we only saw, I think one or two really big moves in Taylor Hall. And then the last move of the deadline being um, Anthony Mantha traded for Jacob Vrana in a package deal. I mean, Mantha, you know, was one of the, big names that went in that trade and I really think Verona really brings a really good young uh, dynamic to a team in Detroit and maybe when the East division gets resettled it seems like you know the Red Wings and Devils and you know several other you know lower level teams uh, can start to rebalance and reworks and kinks but it seems like we're on the low but moving up in uh, the talent pool yeah i'd absolutely say we're moving up on the talent pool and you know what quite frankly we're also seeing this with the young players not just some of the vets though um maybe the vets stole the show in a way for the deadline itself but um, a couple young players were moved. No one terribly noticeable, uh, notable, but um, yeah, I think we're going to start seeing kind of the upswing of the young guys in, in the years to come, especially with the now the use of the Seattle expansion draft ahead for the Kraken. I'm really interested to see how this year's deadline will play an effect on uh, Francis, who is uh, leading the uh, charge for the Kraken and what that will uh, kind of turn that franchise into in just a couple months from now. I mean, you know, there's going to be at least one player from each team taken. Um, you know, I have a good list of players that could be taken um, from New Jersey in that point. And I think, you know, it seems like management wants to expose P.K. Subban to the expansion draft. And, I mean, a team like that can take on a $9 million cap hit or, you know, like what we saw with Vegas, we saw them parlay, no pun intended, but they did trade, you know, some extra um, early picks for players that became 
um, impact players that got them to the postseason, but I don't know if that's going to happen with Seattle, but it would be interesting. Yeah, it's absolutely going to be really interesting. Um, again, I'm wondering what the reflection of this deadline is going to look like in terms of how they go about not only, you know, just building a roster, but simply put the development of their franchise from the bottom up as, as they're already working on their AHL team and uh, the facility for, uh, for the team, which is not named yet. Um, then again, they're still working on the finishing touches of uh, the newly renovated arena, which will be the home of the Seattle Kraken in the Pacific Northwest. So um, again, just a lot of, I guess, in a way, questions were left. Um, but in, but in, I mean, if we're looking at the present, I think that we saw a really entertaining deadline, despite the fact that it wasn't um, the most interesting of them. Yeah, I mean, if, if you want to look at the market setter and the market value, um, you look at what the Islanders, um, apparently what I heard was that they were trying to give, uh, this was in the Elliot Friedman's 31 Thoughts, and that it was going to be Jobs, Greer, um, and a first that was in uh, a potential package for Taylor Hall, but apparently uh, Buffalo didn't accept, and they were like, sorry, Lou, but we're not going to listen to you. But um, New Jersey, you know, having Tom Fitzgerald, you know, with um, Zay Jack and Palmieri, um, he saw that look like a late first pick. He said, hey, I'll take that, and I'll take that fourth. Um, that's conditional, you know, could become a third. Um, in the 2022 uh if I remember that correctly. So give or take, if this was a normal year, I think maybe that's a third, possibly a second um, for conditional. Absolutely. And, um, you know, what really intrigued me about um, the the deal with Zajac and uh, Paul Mary heading off to what I believe is the Islanders is what a big snatch that they were able to uh, get out of the Devils. And so I guess I'll, you know, I'll leave this to you as the Devils expert for us here at PuckThory.com being, you know, what does a core like that offer to a team like that? Well, what Kyle Paul Mary brings to a team like the Islanders is that he's, a veteran presence. He can be a little bit physical, you know, he can get a little feisty at times, but he really is a good, like, sh a like, good raw shooter. He can take a slapper. He can wrist it in. He can absolutely be the guy shooting up within the high danger areas. Um, not afraid to take that shot when he wants to, but if you set him up just right, he knows where to put the puck in, and that's right behind the goaltender. I mean, look, it's something that he's been, you know, not only, you know, known, but able to do for much of his career. So I think that that's going to bring a lot of help to them. But now let's take a look at Travis Zajac, another uh, interesting piece. And maybe I'll, even before we even get into him, you know, did you see Zajac leaving kind of? Obviously, there was a lot of conversation around Plumeri, but, you know, when the verdict came down of Zajac being part of that package, were you left in uh, surprise in any kind? I will be honest. I was 50-50 because, you know, this could, this could be the last uh, house on the block for him to 
stand put and apparently he was looking into you know possibly going into another team where he could try and win a Stanley Cup or be successful in the playoffs at least and it just seemed like you know having him being drafted out of University of North Dakota uh shout out to uh Parker Warner another puck authority guy who loves his uh fighting Sue or whatever you want to call him but uh Travis Zajac being a a UND guy um really have a tremendous career from there and he is the type of leader who wins a lot of face-off battles he does a lot of the small things right and occasionally Zajac does have that nice one-timer that he doesn't utilize as often but if I'm an Islanders fan I feel very comfortable having a guy on the third or fourth line. Sure, he's not the fastest skater, but he's the most serviceable veteran that you want. Right. I would absolutely agree with you uh, to that respect. And, you know, if, if he can learn to utilize that more, what can they expect out of Zajac as he continues to, um, you know, present as the strong hockey player that he's known to be? So when you pair him with a couple of younger, faster players on the Islanders, what I absolutely would expect out of him, like I've always known Travis to break up plays before they start, um, usually when he was a little bit younger. But, you know, him being older, it's kind of hard to play against teams second and first lines. And when you pair him against other teams' third and fourth lines at his time and age, he can do just well in that role and teach players how to not be so careless with the puck, but also play better without it. Yeah, I think uh, you hit the nail on the head with that. So uh, with that, you know, I know this is primarily a devil's pod, but, you know, let's talk about one of the other big things uh, that, primarily went down and maybe the biggest of the focuses or at least at the hour of midnight uh when the boston bruins uh locked down a former devil in taylor hall uh what were your first thoughts on that uh well first off boston's a big market uh number two it's not buffalo uh number three uh boston always wanted a guy like a paul mary or a taylor hall so they wanted a guy who could shoot the puck um to me, um, having Paul there is a pretty good fit so far because he's not the main guy. You have Krejci, you have Pasternak, you have Marshawn. You have so many other players like Matt Kozelczyk. You have a couple other guys I could name off the top of the tip of my tongue, but there's so many uh, skilled depth guys that there's – talent to you know compliment him and that's the problem um ever since uh hall left uh edmonton and new jersey he hasn't been able to find that until he's gone to boston and he's looked a lot more comfortable and he's been his post knee surgery uh injury self if i can explain that to bruins fans and with that, he's already made more of an impact with the Bruins in his short stay than he did during his entire tenure with 
the Sabres. Now, there was a lot of obviously counterfight about where his fit would come in with the Bruins. And then with that, is is he a long-term piece with Boston? Your thoughts? Well, I mean, you know, they did give up a, a pretty good pick in him um, getting, I think it was a second, and they gave up Anders Bjork. And I really like Anders Bjork. And Buffalo got a good return. But I really like um, Boston likely going to resign him. The thing is, um, Boston has to lose at least one player if they're if they're willing to protect Taylor Hall and they resign before uh, they get to the Seattle expansion draft. So I know this is a little bit off topic, but you know, with that being the uh, guideline for every other NHL team, I think they should give him at least two years minimal to keep him where he wants to be and see where they go from there because the cap will still be at 81.5 with a couple of years left before it looks like it's going to be maybe 94, 95 million with um, the new ESPN NHL deal from Disney coming in um, in like four, like four or five years time is supposed to take effect from what I heard. So that's actually from Jim Berger and uh, Dave Penyota. Another thing I want to mention is maybe the return uh, for Taylor Hall in Anders Bjork along with a pick. Um, obviously, we're seeing how value depreciated this year uh, in certain deals, and um, maybe Hall was a steal for Boston this year in that it was only Bjork and a pick and nothing further um, than, again, Hall going with Lazar to Boston. Yeah, um, Curtis Lazar, I mean, he's had – you know, time to really move from one team to the next level. But, you know, when it comes to a guy that wants to get, you know, a similar treatment like Nolan Foot, you know, you go from a team that has a really good uh, organizational pieces that it's hard to put one guy into a lineup at the NHL level. Now, this allows um, – to go into a team like Buffalo and get assimilated to the NHL level where things are a little bit more cutthroat. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. I think that was really well said. So uh, with that, the last thing I want to mention on the deadline front before we get into just a little bit of devil's talk is, again, the uh, Mantha trade with uh, Jacob Vrona. Uh, and, you know, I guess how this works out for both teams and who you think is the winner in the end. Well, uh, well, first off, Anthony Mantha is probably one of the top young forwards in this uh, league. I mean, he's only 26. Um, he can play both wings. He's six foot five, 234 pounds. He's built solid. And just looking at the way, you know, he's at least, if you look back at to his first year, and the NHL, like, when he started hitting the 60-game the mark, he started hitting 36 points. Then he went down to the AHL, to the Grand Rapids Griffins, started to score a little bit better. And then you go to 2017-18, score 23 assists. And pretty much ever since that season, he's really taken off like a rocket. Um, 
I really believe in a guy that can score at least 21 to 42 goals. I mean, 21 to 42 points in a season like that, or 38 points in 43 games, according to elite prospects uh, for his NHL standards. Now, five points in four games with the Capitals, that's pretty high end. Um, Going to have to check uh, Jacob Rana. I know he's a doubles killer, and I know it's it's a bit of a relief to have him out of um, that league, that part of the league for the East. Uh, having a young check like Verana, he he seems to have dwelled pretty well in uh, DC. Twenty-seven points in seventy-three games in 2017, 2018. Um, he hasn't had that much of an impact in his first couple seasons um, in the NHL, but he actually peaked in 2019-2020. Um, 25 points at 39 games. That's still pretty good. I mean, I tend to like Detroit in this one, getting Verona, but I actually think Mantha's the better player in this pit in this play because he's been able to play better between a bad team and a playoff team. So that's where I stand. I I I claim the Capitals the winner despite my association as a Devils fan. I think that's pretty reasonable. Uh, I mean, if, if you ask me, when I look at this trade from again a full pitcher perspective i probably see uh the capitals coming out of this with the win but um again uh, i think that your deep dive kind of gives a um better understanding of you know how such a deal you know in all its aspects really works out i mean i'm i'm pretty sure that a lot of the trades like that, you know, some are make or break for some teams. And it just seems like that the Capitals seem like they've won the trade, but we have to give it a couple of years to see how it really works for both teams. Yeah, I think that um, that pretty much sums it up. So that being put aside let's move away from the nhl trade deadline and we're going to touch on just a little bit of devils uh, on today's episode uh, which i think is what which is the focus that you really want to get into because the devils have now alexander holtz who they signed to an elc and i know you've been following him uh for a long time in sweden so you know take it away so what people need to put aside is that you know he being Alexander Holtz is a really good uh, sniper. He can also skate very well. He sees the ice very well in his cerebral vision. And he has the determination to not only be a great shooter, but he can also be a great passer when he needs to. So when I watched him play with uh, Lucas Raymond, not this past uh, World Juniors, but the World Juniors before, leading to his draft year, he and Raymond were complimenting each other. They were basically the uh, 
they were like the terror twins they were called and i really like the shot of uh holtz uh i haven't seen anything like that shot since Ilya Kovalchuk um when he was with the new jersey devils and i know it's kind of a high bar but um philip forsberg is a similar uh shot uh when it comes to that um especially being a player from sweden um really like the attitude on him you know he really wants to be part of this organization um one of the things is he said um we have three cups but we need more and that's the kind of attitude i like in a player and he just seems very you know not necessarily soft-spoken but he seems pretty level-headed and you know tom fitzgerald has been wanting to build a culture um within the team and he wants to build it uh from bottom up and having holtz is a he's a finisher i really liked him to pair with uh jack hughes or even uh nico he because you look at um this roster now like the devils need a lot of finishers and it's a matter of time when alexander holtz comes up and it's going to be a matter of time when Holtz is assimilated to the NHL level and he's done with his amateur tryout in Binghamton for the AHL level to um, get accustomed to North American ice and uh, Swedish ice is uh, typically very wide and it takes time for certain players to get accustomed to. So now, um, with him being a great skater, I can see him on Jack Hughes's uh, left or right wing, but him being a right shot, I would put him on the right wing and let him uh, go from there and be able to uh, fill in a role that uh, Kyle Palmieri has had the past like five and a half, six seasons uh, with the New Jersey Devils. and. Uh, Nolan Foote is another player that will also be a finisher to help complement that. Uh, Dawson Mercer, another good shooter. He can also make, you know, a playmaker look very good. But I really like Alexander Holtz. Um, I wrote an article on the Puck Authority about uh, Alexander that I would rather have him over Patrick Lining. Um, not, I know it's a little bit of a stretch, but I still like the skating on Holtz and his attention to detail and being able to, uh, be able to be open and take care of, uh, business when it's really needed. And so far, so good. It looks like, um, the Devils have a diamond that they have in their, uh, hands. So hopefully um, they get this young guy going because um, when he was with Jer Gardens, um, he was playing on the fourth line with Jakob Josephson or Jacob Josephson.
he does really well with uh, William Eklund. And Eklund can really shoot the puck too. And they can play make a little bit together. And if the Devils do draft William Eklund as a power forward, uh, a big playmaking, goal scoring forward, I think it would be a great compliment. Based on the player who you've gotten to watch in Sweden for so long now. Uh, his name is Alexander Holtz. He is a young right-handed shot uh, right out of Jer Gardens, which is uh, outside Stockholm. And so he's been uh, lighting the lamp for them. He's not done very well under the Jer Gardens fourth line because, you know, him and Eklund didn't seem to get enough ice time this year. But in the years past, um, when Holtz plays with um, – a guy like Lucas Raymond, they complemented each other very well. And when Holtz is uh, set up in the high danger scoring areas, he knows where to skate and where to be. And he can absolutely rip it. And, you know, when I was just saying before um, I'd lost you earlier that he is the type of guy that, I haven't seen a shot like that since uh, Ilya Kovalchuk. That uh, way he's making the slap shot and the wrist shot uh, just looks so easy and just, like, clean in the corners of the net. Like, I'm not sure how many players besides Patrick Laine you can absolutely see that on a day-to-day basis. Right, and this is a kid who, you know, has presented such a big impact to Team Sweden, um, you know. And again, you mentioned Jur Gardens where he's played. So, how does this fare now for the New Jersey Devils? As you know, I want to get your insight because again, the Devils are a team that has gone for the young stars, and we've seen that Nico Hucher, Jack Hughes, though um, maybe we're not seeing them pay off quite yet. But you know, where do you see Holtz falling among those? So, what I expect. Once Alexander Holtz finishes his amateur period um, with uh, Binghamton um, before the 21-22 season starts, where his uh, three-year ELC kicks in, um, I would expect him to get top two line minutes uh, when he does get to the NHL. And I expect him to be playing on the wing, um, set, not setting up, but being the finisher. And that's the problem for New Jersey is that they have had conundrums in the past and in the present where they got all these really great centers that can score, but there aren't any good enough wingers to really uh, put it away. And, oh, and uh, the Devils are down 6-3 right now. And uh, former Mississauga Steelhead Nathan Bastion just scored. So, there's a little something right there, but um, it's not quite enough for the Devils to really bank off it. And, you know, the Devils have a lot of pieces that are finishers, like um, Holtz is one of them. Foot, Nolan Foot is one of them. Um, you have Graham Clark, whose brother is going to be in this draft as well. So it's going to be interesting to see that you have these guys that in your system, they're finishers. But when you get them to the big level, um, you want them to pan out as 
finishers. And that's what gets people coming to the games. You want them to be excited for these pieces to start falling into place. Right. And with that, you mentioned the young guys. So let's go there next, because as we continue through the, I guess, the younger landscape of New Jersey, we look at guys like Nolan Foote, who has spent time with Binghamton, uh, Graham Clark, who has been overseas and now back in North America. And, you know, these, again, it presents a really strong future. And then with that, Jaeger Sharon Govich, uh, who has offensively been really talented. So can you speak a little bit about maybe uh, Nolan Foote? I don't know if you watch him in the WHL uh, when he was, I believe, with the Kelowna Rockets. But, you know, how the – and, again, you touched on this in a recent article, but how this team could slowly start to transition into, you know, this young core of stars, and that includes Kevin Ball and Nikita – uh, Nikita Okutuk, uh, et cetera. Ohochuk, so, yes. Yeah, um, you just want to elaborate on, you know, what it is they provide to this team and how we might see the future really start to kick in and sooner than later. So when it comes to me talking to some people behind the scenes, um, I want to start with the defense first because that's where the Devils are most thinnest is that you know, when you have a guy like Ohachuk, he's a young, physical, uh, tall defenseman where he's built to be more like a young Anton Volchenkov. And I've seen Volchenkov um, post-sends in New Jersey, and he's the type of guy that would hip check and block shots. Like, what gets me about Ohachuk is that you know, he wants to be the physical presence who's not afraid to do an open ice hit or uh, clean the body cleanly and just move like another team's player, uh, you know, out of the game if he wants to. That's the thing that um, Ken Danico misses in the game. And that's something that I miss um, from, you know, a writer standpoint is that you can't just let teams uh, forwards to walk all over you. Meanwhile, when you have a Hochuk being paired with Kevin Ball and Kevin Ball, six foot seven, he can actually skate for his age and he can skate for his size. And I know some people were harsh on him when uh, he was first acquired. I really like the way Ball is able to play more defensively. And I know, you know, when you get this kid into the AHL, yes, there's going to be some learning curves, but that's all part of the process. And Ball is the type of guy who can actually rip the puck and he's got the, the height and the arm length of uh, a Zdeno Chara. And I mean that not in a Hall of Famer sense, I mean it in like a structural build. And when you teach these two monsters how to be prime time uh, defensemen, it's going to make opponents in the near future hate your team so much that it's going to be hard for them to get points and beat you. Now, you got to also bring in uh, Michael Vukojevic, who used to play for the um, Kitchener Rangers. He could chip in offensively, but he's also uh, a very physical presence. He's a Croatian-Canadian. He uh, was born in Croatia, um, plays for uh, the Binghamton squad. He can absolutely 
uh, level a guy if he wants to. He can clear out the uh, crease for a guy and make life easier for the goalie. And you know what? The Devils missed that. Um, you know, I hate to bring back the glory days, but, you know, Danico, Stevens, uh, Colin White, those three guys, when they were together, they were able to protect Berder and let him play his game and get in the heads of the opponents. And the Devils seem to bring back a little bit of the old DNA from drafting these types of players and developing them. And I expect within one to three seasons that these defensemen start churning out into the NHL level and they gain experience. And yes, the presence is not pretty because these kids are not up yet. Um, We've seen Ty Smith uh, prove to be a really good two-way defender, but right now he's out because of an injury. So if you can start producing more defensemen in your pipeline and get them graduated uh, steadily, but surely this is going to be a really good team on the defense. But when we just talked about Nolan foot, uh, what I see in Nolan foot is that, you know, he's working on his skating stride and, you know, who else had a problem with skating uh, was Mark stone. Mark stone didn't have really good skating stride when he was first drafted. But Nolan Foote's a big guy, power skater, but he's going to be able to become more explosive in the offseason with his skating and work with a trainer. And a lot of players um, have skating coaches. And I can see that um, being a big part of uh, Foote's game because one thing he already has down pat is his uh, ability to create points and being a heavy shot with that wrist shot. and. That's what the Devils need is a guy that can uh, flick the wrist at the right time and get the puck in on net. Graham Clark, um, if it weren't for his uh, injuries in his draft year, he probably would have gone a lot sooner, but the Devils really lucked out in getting him. I like the way he's played for the 67s, and he played in Slovakia, uh, just like his brother Brandt. Uh, Brandt is a young offensive defenseman who can really excite people um if brant clark is uh there uh, i would like to see uh the brother combo uh there to um complement each other um i could see graham clark absolutely being a power play specialist um being run with mark recce if recce's still here in new jersey and it seems the Devils are looking to find ways to create more offense. So the Devils just want more efficiency and productivity out of their finishers when their finishers make it to the NHL. It's just, I know fans are um, very restless and I can understand that, but if you take away that portion of it and you look into the scouting and developing side, things are much brighter. So there's that. And then one of the last parts I want to discuss with you is Kevin Ball, a counterpart of Graham Clark, and how he'll shape into the New Jersey Devils lineup in the near future. And I think that's kind of where we'll uh, kind of close out um, the Devils portion of the podcast. Absolutely. So where do I start? 
that's what I'm trying to think. So when I expect the next season to come, I can see Kevin Ball likely in training camp. I can see Ahochuk in, in training camp. And um, I can see Michael Vukovic in training camp as well. And depending on how they do in training camp and, and uh, rookie development camp, it all depends on how they do. Um, I would like to let them sit a little bit longer in the AHL a little bit and not have to worry about um, expectations because when you jump a kid to the NHL, the parent team has, you know, a vision of where they want to see them. Like, you know, Ty Smith took two more years to get to New Jersey. So can another season for Kevin Ball and Nikita Ohotyuk um, work out? It's possible um, that they can step in and become the physical defensive defenseman uh, they can be. And I can see Vukovic, um being that in the next two to uh, three seasons. And I'm one of those people, I'm not in a hurry for the gratification of a player to be on the team right away. Uh, right now, Nolan Foote just scored. Uh, it's five to seven um, deficit. So the Devils are down two goals. Uh, with six minutes and four seconds left. I know that um, the Devils aren't making the playoffs, but, you know, we're looking at proof in the pudding where they have a guy I just mentioned in Nolan Foot being able to uh, rip a shot pretty hard on the wrist shot uh, from the point on Tristan Jari. And that is something that I like seeing. And that's going to make Papa uh, Foot back home in Colorado very happy because Adam Foote I saw his father play um, for Colorado against New Jersey and other teams and you know his brother Cal if the Devils got Cal would be a great defenseman to have um, would, would the Devils be able to pull it off maybe not because I think Julian Brisbois doesn't want to get ripped off again by Tommy Fitzgerald um, Fitzgerald knows what he's doing he has really good scouting staff, and uh, I really think the way the Devils set themselves up in the amateur and uh, pro scouting departments is that they believe in those people and they trust in who they can acquire. And when they acquire these pieces, they develop them properly. So it's going to look like when Tampa Bay stunk for many years and um, you looked at the Islanders, they stunk for years. But they were building up their cupboards and they were, you know, making the ingredients to build a winning roster. Right. So now we're seeing that the winning roster is going to come together. It's, it's a matter of when, not if. It won't be this year, like you said. Playoffs, not in picture. But the proof is in the pudding. We're seeing guys... Uh, talents like Nolan Foot pay off. And so the future for the New Jersey Devils is bright. It's just a matter of when. So with that, I think we'll leave it there.
Um, and maybe I'll get your prediction. You know, how soon do you see, how, I guess, do you picture uh, the young turnover really start to take effect for this Devils organization? You talk about turnover. I don't mean Apple turnovers. I mean, um, turnover, I look into guys like, you know, I got to talk about this, you know, my expansion protection list. I have guys like he sure would, Jesper Brad, Pavel Zaka, uh, Jesper Brad, Michael McLeod, uh, Yanni Kuokinen, Igor Sharangovich, um, Ryan Murray. We have to keep a guy like Murray around. Uh, unfortunately, Damon Severson, we have to hold on to him or, or else you lose him for, for nothing. Um, but you could still trade him after that. Um, Jonas Siegenthaler starting to, you know, get used to this team, but um, he's here when the team's not doing so well, which is unfair to uh, give him any criticism, but he's done okay. Um, given the fact that he's starting to get more NHL time, but I really want to see guys like Colton White, Dawson Mercer, Jack Hughes, Bofist, Thompson, Foot, Zetterlin, Maltsev, uh, Schnarr, Clark, uh, Talvidia, Holtz, Walsh, Smith, uh, Kevin Ball, Nikita Ohojic, uh, Jeremy Grillo, Vukovic, and Jill Send all try and, you know, compete for spots. Um, I mean, if you minus out, um, Bokvist, Hughes, um, and you look at Maltsev. I mean, these guys, some of these guys have already gotten spots. It's just a matter of um, when they start competing um, in the next couple of um, months in the summer. So I would expect to see like late summer, early fall that. Um, with this new post-COVID um, phase that we're starting to get through in the States, I think um, some players will stay um, in North America just to um, improve their games a little bit so they don't have to quarantine again. So I think it's going to be a good thing to have these guys stay a little longer. But uh, I think the Devils, with the free agency that they have, they have a lot of cap space. They can make a trade or two, and they can sign a few guys, and they got a lot of money. They can hand Jack Hughes uh, an extension. Right. So with that, I think we'll close up. But before we do, I do want to, you know, paint the bright picture that it is that we've been speaking about for the last half hour or so um, in terms of what the future presents for the New Jersey Devils, whether it be, you know, two years or three years or five years, whatever it may be, because it looks like it's coming sooner rather than later. We look at tonight's game as a fine example of that, where the Devils were down six, nothing. And now it's seven, five Pittsburgh uh, with, I believe about five minutes left. And we're seeing players like Nico Heischer, power play goal, Jaeger Sharon Govich, shorthanded goal, Jack Hughes, goal assisted by Sharon Govich, and uh, Yanni uh, Kuokinen, if I said that correctly. And then lastly, yeah, Nolan Foote um, with an assist by Nicholas Merkley, as well as uh, Damon Severson, a piece that we've spoken about, um, who was 
maybe up for grabs at the deadline, but uh, in the end, obviously staying as in the game tonight with the Devils. So um, it is there and it's a matter of, um, you know, when we start to see uh, changes really take effect at the New Jersey Devils and seeing a compete like this tonight and then a will to not back down just goes to show where this Devils team is headed. And um, I mean, I'll leave you with the final remarks because it is your podcast, but I'm quite impressed by uh, the fight that I see from this team. Yeah. So um, for those of you who are listening to the Heads of Hockey podcast, um, we have a sponsor um, here in the States, minus Vegas. Um, they're called Vigit, V-I-G-I-T. Um, if you use the referral code HUH2021, um, you get to uh, be part of their um, fantasy sports app. So it's not real cash, but um, you do get prizes when you do get, you know, a lot of fantasy currency when you place fantasy wagers. Like I can put uh, fantasy wagers against uh, certain teams and whatnot. And, you know, it's great to be right when you, when you are, and it's great to like get like an Amazon gift card or something like that. When, um, you do get the fantasy credits for it. It's, uh, it's fun. It's, uh, interesting, um, interface, but, um, I really like, um, the future now than it was before for the doubles, but I think there's still a lot of work to be done. I tend to think that, um, if you listen to our content here at the Pug Authority, um, Justin Levine's our editor. And I cover the doubles and I do some NA, other NHL stuff, but um, I also do the draft prospects. Um, for those of you wondering, um, I do have Luke Hughes going first overall. Uh, it's nothing against Owen Power. It's that usually the youngest guy um, in the draft class that's very high, highly ranked to me is the one that has more upside and a lot of blooming left in their tank. So I tend to like um, a player like that. But if that were the case, um, you have about maybe five to 10 guys this year that could possibly go first overall. Well said. So with that, uh, I think we'll leave it uh, there on the Heads Up Hockey podcast. Joe, thank you so much for having me on today. Again, I'll let you have the final uh, wrap-up of this podcast. But, um, you know, again, this Devils team is only going to impress me. And while this may not be their season, I look forward to seeing what they can do from here on out and into the 2021-22 season. So without further ado, I want you Justin to tell people where they can find you on social media and everywhere else and uh we can go from there yeah so I can be found on Twitter at Justin Levine HBS uh again I'm more so cover the Montreal Canadiens that is uh, more my field as well as women's hockey and a number of other things including junior hockey as we spoke about guys like Nolan Foote Michael Vukovic Kevin Ball etc um, so you can con- find my continuous uh, work, obviously, at thepuckthird.com, where we continue to nail out just about everything as your premier home for hockey. 
Uh, and, uh, you know, we'll continue to be providing content on the Puck Diary Podcast Network as we look to uh, officially establish that in the coming week or two, uh, something around there. So, uh, Joe, again, thanks for having me. Always a pleasure. Thank you and have a great evening and let's go Puck Authority. <laughs>